Denver Rubber Company is the most reliable local partner for your long-term projects, and they are an essential business that have filled needs for many different industries over these last six, seven weeks, such as medical, military, defense, government, wind energy, and even food and beverage industries as well. They've been doing their work since 1972 and are diehard Denver sports fans just like all of us here at DNVR. DRC is known for cutting and supplying rubber snowplow blades, but now that we're into the summer, it is Colorado, you never know, but they can also provide custom cut rubber and foam gaskets, hose assemblies, and even metal parts cut to specifications as well. So... With their industry knowledge and precise manufacturing capabilities, they're committed to supporting your needs, whatever they may be in these uncertain times. Give them a call for any of your projects at 1-800-259-0010 or go to drcfirst.com slash dnvr. And Cole gets another good righty and another right by Cole, a left by Cole this time. Tipped in front by Mika Rentinen. Shoots and scars! Nathan McKinnon! Call J.T. Comfer! 877 goes now! Gabriel Landeskog! Collective hugs! 29 and 92! Save by Grubauer! Move over, Picasso! This piece of art is by McKinnon, my goodness gracious! <laughs> Welcome in to the DNVR Avalanche Podcast, presented by Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits. Centennial and Highlands Ranch, either location, has your hookup for any beer you can imagine. I am Rudo. Joining me, as always, is AJ Hayfley, but we also have the man in the crease himself, the myth, the legend, Drew Creaseman, jumping on to give his thoughts and explain to us what he's learned over this season of hockey, and I suppose he's, I, I imagine you've learned as much, if not more, from the video game than watching the hockey itself, Drew. Certainly now that there is no hockey to watch, that has been the case, yes. <laughs> my number two sport now. Hockey, my number two sport now. We made that official on the TDSP recently, so. So there you go, Abs fans. We roped another one. <laughs> Got another one. We need that sound bite that RK always yeah. plays. Ladies and gentlemen, we got we got him. him. <laughs> um where should should we start with with <clears throat> Drew and your video game learning knowledge or should we start with this other stuff that we have here AJ? Yeah, let's start with Drew. All right. So Drew was a- explaining to us that uh, you know, it, it didn't take him too long to get down the actual rules of the game, but I think he's starting to pick up on some of the unwritten rules and, and learning how not to get punched in the face from what I've heard. Yeah. And it seems like you, you got to get punched in the face first to, to learn how to not get punched in the face. The first example of that, we're starting with unwritten rules. It's just, just the hockey emulating life, life emulating <laughs> hockey. Um, so, so the first time this happened was of course, when I did something that you're never going to see, in an NHL game, uh, or maybe, maybe I'm wrong about that, but certainly I haven't. And it, it has to be remarkably rare. So of course I didn't know it was a thing. I'm a uh, new, new play in the game, still trying to learn the sport, trying to figure out certain nuances. So I'm taking every opportunity I can to try to get shots off, figure out certain angles, beat the goalie. Uh, I, I'm skating a play in, I come in offside. 
to blow the whistle. I went, oh, just barely. I thought I had that. But let me take this little practice shot anyway. <laughs> uh-uh. And, uh-uh. And, then, and then I got my ass kicked is what happened. Shortly after that, uh, I, I learned very, very quickly that that is a no- – and, of course, it took me a couple of times because I'm just so used to in video games, you know, you do the extra thing. But every single time – so three or four times of me being offside, they blow the play dead, I shoot the puck anyway. And then – it teaches you a thing in reverse. You go, oh yeah, like I could understand why you wouldn't want goalies just standing there with this <laughs> flying object and maybe not being ready for it. Um, a good rule to have, it seems, but uh, or unwritten rule, as it were. That uh, yeah, just get you just get your face punched in if you shoot the puck once the play has been blown dead. And and now I know that. Have I imagine you've never seen the other side of that either, where in the past, and this is even rarer than a puck getting shot on net after the whistle gets blown, but on a few occasions in in NHL history, a goalie has realized that a play was offsides before everyone else did with a puck coming in on net. And I think it was Hasek that did it, where he knew it was offsides, so he just stepped out of the way and let the puck (laughs) go in the net. Yeah, and the, it was a, a home game for the team that scored, so the crowd loses their minds, and Hasek <laughs> is just sitting there like, "Yep, that's offsides." <laughs> so, Ballsy. so uh, you know, every team likes to protect their goalies when it comes to those things, kind of like you mentioned, where no one wants them firing pucks after whistles, but uh, goalies are just giant trolls, in my opinion, anyway. <laughs> or. I was going to say that was, that was the other thing was um, skating into the goalie, obviously big no-nos um, after plays when plays are blown dead, but it's also weird because it's just so easy to do it in that game. And, and then of course um, I, I feel like one of the things it does a good job of emulating, and I've seen this confusion and chaos as I've been learning the game is at what point did you skate into the goalie? And at what point were you pushed into the goalie? Because that's just where you were. That was the only space the defender's trying to make sure you don't have a good shot. I had nowhere else to go. And now I'm in a fist fight with the dude that made me run into his goalie. Yeah, there. I mean, it that definitely happens a lot. You you will see a, a sneaky defenseman cross-check a dude into his goalie and then get mad that he fell on his goalie in real life all the time. So, uh, it, that, it happens, but... It's that's something that has changed quite a bit as, you know, AJ and I have been doing the Avs watch alongs and we saw in in 2001 and especially in the 96 series that we just finished. Dudes just were running into goalies all the time back then. Like it was just cool. I guess you can do that. Uh, (laughs) I I don't know. It's it's out of the league now is I mean, the one of the ones that like how big things have changed about protecting goalies for me was in the the Avs 13-14 playoff series when Landy got the penalty for spraying Dubnik uh, which Drew if you don't know when they come in and just slam on the brakes right in front of the goalie and give him okay. a snow wash basically uh, I had never seen a penalty called for that before that game I think so <clears throat> and since man Pretty much, and since that that whole series had 
so many weird penalties in it, though. <clears throat> so. Yeah, and Charlie Coyle, the beneficiary of the world's greatest bounces, over yeah. and over and over and yeah. over and over. So, anyway. I yeah, I, I know uh, Drew. Are you playing more like an individual player on on NHL these days, or are you playing like the whole team stuff? So lately it's been more team stuff. And it's interesting because you will learn different things about the game depending on which one of those modes you're playing in for sure. Like uh, on the rules thing, <clears throat> AJ watched me in real time learn what boarding was. <laughs> <laughs> like, and again, you're like, oh, okay, I understand why they wouldn't just want to let dudes do that. Um, but, you know, at first – if you don't know specifically, you're like, is it a hockey game where you fly around and you kill people and then you shoot the puck at the goal and then you try to score? Um, but they're, they're, you know, learning some of those. Uh, that one and then the other one, which I insist on calling traveling, but it's actually charging. Uh, I've, deci- I've decided that because, you know, they give the – it's the traveling symbol for the NBA. But here's what I've decided. And I, I'm sorry to do this to you. I'll give you a baseball one back the other way so you don't feel like I'm picking on your sport. It should be called traveling. Traveling makes more sense, right? The nature of the penalty is that you've gone too far and then you, you've delivered a hit. You've taken too many, I don't know, steps or they're not steps. What do you even call it? I you've, mean, you've traveled. You, you called you, the dude charged at a guy. So it's charging. <laughs> you can charge from a foot away from a standstill, can't you? I don't know, man. I think traveling <laughs> might be the better. And look, there's stuff like this in all sports. Like I said, I'll give you one back. The foul pole should be called the fair pole. That's stupid. That, it's always I agree stupid. with that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes you got to you got to take a look at these things. But I don't know. I feel like and not just because I got confused the first time. Traveling makes well, more sense. Than is it, it's called the foul line, too, though. So should it be called the fair line in baseball? It should. All yeah, because right. if it hits any bit of that. It's chalk, fair. Yeah, it's fair. It's a fair line. It's a fair pole. It's a fair line. I I can get behind that play. Uh, yeah, it, with uh, there isn't really well. I mean, we could get into AJ's pet peeviest of pet peeve here, as as again watching the ninety six and oh one series, how he keeps bringing up that they really didn't flip the puck out that much back then at all. I counted, by the way, those. Uh... The 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 ten games from '96 that we watched, you know how many times it happened? I don't. It can't be that many. Eight. Less than ten. Nice. Not even once per game. And every time I mentioned it on Twitter, some dude who's right in the same age range as me is like, "Do you remember 1990s hockey?" <laughs> yeah, dude. I've actually now gone back and recently watched a handful of it in the postseason. This just wasn't whatever. <laughs> he's over it. <laughs> I'm right about this, and the arguments against it are stupid. The only the only one that I give ground to is the, is the the fan safety one. Yep, and and even then, like just treat it like an icing. Then they can't change. It's so yep. it, The answer is right there, and it's super it's duper already easy. in place. Yep. One of the easiest changes to fix, in my opinion. But Drew. D-line code to make a shirt that says I'm right about this and the arguments against it are stupid. (laughs) (laughs) 
AJ Hayfley, right there. <laughs> with the, you know, the in quotes with the thing at the bottom. Right <laughs> Next DNVR Avalanche shirt. Me me being frustrated about delay of game. <laughs> the other Fine. Drew in yes. the real NHL, if you're an actual NHL player, one of the most specific and maybe hardest to learn skills in the league is taking faceoffs. So I'm curious what your experience is in the dot. Yeah, it's interesting. They've they've turned it into a, a sort of a rock, paper, scissors mechanic that I don't fully understand. I do think there are better ways. I need to learn more about how to identify when somebody is set up forehand, backhand, like even that, like seeing how their hands are placed on the stick, right, is supposed to give you an indication of what they're more likely to do. I haven't gotten that good and nuanced at it yet, basically. Um, I, I just try to vary up whether or not I'm hitting at the puck, hitting at their stick, or ramming into them. Those are kind of your three basic options there. Um, and I, I, maybe I'll try to take note of like different spacing like i'll try to save my pushing into them rather than going after the puck for a key moment where i feel like the space makes sense and i feel like that strategy pays off for me because if i i haven't done a, a pushy move all game official term of course the pushy pushy on the face off then you'll catch them off guard you'll 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 go at them your guy swings in picks up the puck uh, you've got yourself some nice little space to work with there. I don't do that in my own zone because if you create a bunch of mess when in a face-off in your own zone, those are my least favorite goals to give up. Uh, face-offs in my own zone are a nightmare. Uh, and I rarely have a good percentage winning face-offs except for with Nazem Kadri. Without any input from AJ, we'll get our input in a second. Drew Kreisman, as a new hockey fan, how important do you rate face-offs? It's tough because I I feel like like they can they run the gamut. There are some games where you feel like it was all a toss up and whatever, and then I I feel like there are some games where I've given up three goals basically because I lost the face off in my own zone and that pass out pass over shot. I don't know how to get my defense over around to to solve that in time and. Um, you know, Grubauer usually stops it for me. Frankie has a harder time with it. Um, the one game I had Bernier in there, he gave up four goals on that, and he never saw the ice again. <laughs> okay. Uh, the, the stance I've adopted on faceoffs uh, at this point in my life is they don't matter until they do. <laughs> okay, yeah, that seems like a much quicker way of saying what I was trying to say there. <laughs> it, and... Especially, I you kind of alluded to it with your point where you're talking about in the defensive zone. Uh, there are specific situations where faceoffs are far more important than others. If you're taking a neutral zone faceoff, does that really have any effect on the game? No, not in my opinion. Yeah. But and even there is some research out there that says you know even in in offensive or defensive zones the average time of possession after a faceoff is like eight seconds or less so it, hockey's just such a fluid game that that initial possession even when you get it cleanly doesn't make that big of a difference most of the time but i see aj sitting down there i think aj probably agrees with me on that for the most part but mm -hmm. i i don't 
what's the counter argument there i guess is what i should ask i always my when people ask me about face-offs because i've been vocal about this about getting after x fans who are like they need to win more face-offs and i'm like of all the things that you could criticize and like low on the list yeah (laughs) i feel like this is uh they hit into too many double plays yeah like like okay like i get it like it's frustrating when they do it but bro like (laughs) so the way that i describe it is that they are statistically irrelevant and situationally important okay because if you look at a team's if if you look at a team's face-off percentage it doesn't tell you a damn thing it tells you how good they are at face-offs and that's it it doesn't tell you if it's a good team it doesn't tell you if it's a bad team it doesn't tell you if they're even good or bad in certain situations. It just tells you how a team does on faceoffs. That's it. Would, would there be a split? What about on power plays? Would there be like nah. if, you, if you're good at winning faceoffs and power plays? No. I mean, that's it helps. One time but... where, yeah, where I, I that's definitely someplace I'll I'll notice the frustration if I've got a faceoff in the offensive zone during a power play and I lose it and they can just flip it out there and I've lost. 15 seconds off of my power play. That's when I really feel the, the importance of face-offs. Like uh, that gets super frustrating. Rudo, could you, could you pull up Val Nachushkin's goal in Chicago? I can find it. Yeah. Give me a second. <clears throat> because that's a great example of where face-off numbers are completely useless because Chicago, Chicago wins the face-off. Nachushkin beats his man to the spot and takes the puck and dances around everybody and goes and scores an easy goal. But Chicago won the faceoff in the offensive zone. His second no goal, less. right? Bobby yeah. Mich- okay. So, you know, that's and, – and it's like, hey, you won the you won the faceoff in the offensive zone. That's a good thing. I mean, hey, congratulations. High fives. There you go. Didn't mean anything. <laughs> Goulet, along with some guy named Marty Richardson, are watching the game together, Stream getting ready for the big game well, tomorrow night. Abs bring it ahead to choose. Have a four-one. Have a four-one. Watch this. Watch the speed of this man. He just takes off. Yep. They he lose the face-off. So that goes as a minus one on the face-off, and it doesn't matter. And so that's why. I say they're situationally important because, yeah, of course a faceoff is huge. When you're you're leading, you have a one-goal lead, and there's 17 seconds left in the game, and you've got a defensive zone faceoff. You win the faceoff, you clear the puck. Even if you just ice it again, you've burned seven, eight, seven, eight, nine seconds. You get that in the game. So you lose that faceoff, they get a shot on goal. They set up in the they 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 set up in the zone, whatever. Like it makes life a little bit harder, but like the face-off in those situations are important. But that's why you have a guy like Kadri. It doesn't matter if your team's at forty-six percent, but you have a face-off guy that's at sixty-four percent, and you just use him in every important situation. You send that guy out for the face-off. Problem solved. Now the problem in recent years is Colorado didn't have that guy. Like, their best face-off guy last year was Alex Kerfoot. You weren't sending him out there for big face-offs. Statistics are also, can be a little bit deceiving, right? Like, as you said, the Avs lost that face-off, and it 
benefited them, but how many face-offs do, does a team get credit for winning where the guy in the dot just ties up the other dude and the puck just sits there and someone swoops in and takes it? Like, right, or it goes sideways and yeah. it ends up as a foot race between people. Like, you have to award a winner and a loser on every face-off. Right, and it, it's but not in, like the center won that face-off for his team or anything. So. Right, and and but in, in the, the scheme, the, the grand scheme of the whole game, the number of truly, like important face-offs is probably like 10 yep so it i honestly 10 might even be high (laughs) yeah i mean i would say i would say all pretty much all power play face-offs um and then basically anything in the last minute late game late period <laughs> yeah. face-offs yeah. yeah yeah like yeah yeah i guess you, you end up with a lot of whistles in those situations sometimes yeah so. and like those are big moments but even then like very rarely do they do you do you see teams get clean wins and clean shots off because the defensive systems are set up to attack them so um, Aroboros asks, will the NHL ever adopt the Fogo position from lacrosse? You have one specialist guy that literally all they do is take the face off, then immediately leave the playing surface, and they do throughout the game, all they do throughout the game is face offs. No, you won't see anything that specialized. However, we have already seen things like that start to happen in overtime, where they will send out a guy who can take the face off and is a little bit strong yeah. defensively. If they win it, they immediately jump off the ice and get the offensive squad on yeah again situationally important where you absolutely need puck possession yep but in terms of like well well the abs were a 48 percent face-off team this year they they need to be better otherwise they're not a cup contender you're it's it's you can't draw that line there's no line the last time the abs were a truly good face-off team was 16 17 when they were terrible. had 48 points yeah. so on that note I'd rather be drinking than acknowledge that season, so it's time to acknowledge Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of DNVR. They have their farmhouse down in Littleton, and they need your help to keep kicking here. You can use code DNVR when you head down there to get $5 off your meal. You can pick up that meal and whatever Breckenridge brew you like, Avalanche Amber, Colorado Core, Strawberry Sky, you name it, any of their other beers as well. You can call it 303-803-1380 for pickups scheduled between noon and 8 p.m. every single day. Second period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits with Rudo, AJ, and Drew here. As we're diving in, I don't... Let's... Drew, have you picked the team you like the least in your time watching hockey so far? Yeah, I think so. Um... And everyone wants it to be Minnesota, and and I can get down with that. They can be in a solid. They're the team people have asked me most, um, but I can't stand the Predators. I don't know what it is. I don't know what this. There's something about. I don't like that team. Uh, I don't. I, I didn't like the games I saw in, in real life that the Avs played against them. Uh, it felt like the the games I played in the video game were nonsense. I think I got in a fight. I think Francois got in a fight with one of their guys. Is, it, is there anybody in our comment section who was watching that game and and I gave uh, broke somebody's nose after he'd been a <laughs> just a jerk the whole game, and then he got in a fight with Frankie and got his nose broken, was out for a couple of weeks. 
it wasn't Matt Duchesne, but it was it, it was just like, yeah, I, I think the Predators are the team. I don't know. I'm trying to remember. You, you guys will remember more specifically, but it felt like both games this year, even the one the Avs turned around and had that huge second period. Um, there's been something about those games with the Preds that just feel nasty. And it's like, I don't like them. I don't like them. That message approved by Rudo based on my round table the other day. <laughs> I'm I'm down for the Avs Preds angry rivalry of the future. So I can get behind that one. I, I, you obviously know the Duchesne story at least a little bit. So there's there's that factor as well, but Right. It's I I don't know how to feel. It doesn't feel as chippy as it did back when they had Subban to me, which a couple years ago when they had the playoff series against him. Oh, and he rocked McKinnon in the dome from behind. Yep. So people, he still gets booed in Denver for that, which is way too over the top. Yeah. I I would agree. The the booing is a bit outrageous, but the Avs love to boo people. It is what the Avs fan base, I should say. Well, they they certainly loved uh, Abs fans certainly love to act like they've been done a great injustice. Fair, <laughs> and and Subban, you know, and Subban punched him in the back of the head. Like it wasn't like PK didn't do anything. No, but... I, I mean PK's in the wrong. He definitely doesn't need to get booed three years later, though. <laughs> yeah, and it was like it was like yeah, it it was dirty and it was, but it's like it's a playoff series. Yep. Like you want to go through that playoff series and and pick out everything that an Av did to a Predator, you know EJ's behind everybody hacking at people. Well, and do you remember? Do you remember Sven Andrigetto caused Ryan Hartman to lose his mind? Yeah, <laughs> like actually broke like, him. <laughs> like like Ryan Hartman's already a guy who's always played on the edge, and then Sven Andrigetto was like, There's just no picked edge away here. at that dude. Yeah, yeah, and just caused him to to completely snap and like you know you like you spear guy in the nuts it's gonna happen <laughs> like andrew ghetto was no angel like he he pulled his nonsense too so play it's a playoff series it's what happens what you do <clears throat> the only the only reason we don't remember that any of that with calgary last year is because the abs were too busy stomping them into the ground yeah i'm like they they were so they were so shell shocked from the beating that they were receiving on the abs end that they were just like, oh no. Even even Matt Kachuk just disappeared in well, that series. Zadorov straight bopped him earlier in the series, and he kind of was a non factor after that. Yeah. So it was like, oh, gotta go. They they checked out, man. That's that should have been. They're so soft. <laughs> Drew. I hate to yeah. do this to you, but you know maybe you'll just pick the Rockies answer anyway. But for a, what is the better crowd? We'll just we'll just go right for the throat here. The Coors Field crowd or the Avs crowd? I know you see the Coors Field crowd almost every day for the last handful of years, but well, here's the thing though: the Avs crowd is is better, and the, uh, but but here's my sample size though. I've been to two awesome abs games and i have two regular season games yeah you haven't even Uh, been to a playoff game (laughs) okay two games that were sold out that the crowd was hot and the abs won uh either in dominating super fun cupcakes for everybody fashion the way they beat 
the Blackhawks and it was just a party and everyone's buying each other beers and high five it on the way to the thing. And everyone's best friends. What, what did that end up? Nine to three. Was that game? Nine, four. four. Yeah. yeah. And, and the last two goals that the Blackhawks got were like, no one even saw that happen. I'm, I promise you that no one cared. <laughs> and then the other one was a close win over the blues, hot crowd, great game day game day drinking breck brews game great games that is the totality of my hockey experience i have been to in my life roughly 3742 colorado rockies games and most of the time they haven't been that good And a lot of the times, the crowds at those games, there have been, I've been to some great baseball crowds. Unfortunately, the postseason games I've covered um, have been on the road, except for one that really cold, kind of miserable NLDS loss to the Brewers. Milwaukee, God, that game, everything about that game was awful. Like the only like great crowd moment was when Tony Walters came up for his first at bat and the whole crowd was chanting Tony, Tony, because he hit the only the... great Tony Walters moment. <laughs> well, well, that and the hit he got I mean to, the hit the hit and then like yeah. the love that he got after. Right. Um but yeah, so I've been there for some hot crowds at Coors Field for sure. I was there when Ichiro got his three thousandth hit. That was amazing. Uh, I've been there for some Helton walk-offs. I was there for game three of the NLDS in 2007, the blackout game that Ubaldo Jimenez pitched that they won two to one. That's probably the best baseball crowd I've been involved with, but I've also just been at so many. Oh, right on. That was an Um, insane crowd. Oh, that was amazing. And we were all out in the streets because the Rockies won and that was, the first and, and to this time, only time they've advanced past the first round. It was pretty cool, dude. And people outside of Coors Field that night, we didn't know what to do with our hands. Uh, right. It was very like, what's going on? What's <laughs> happened? I just talked to Corey Sullivan on the Rockies podcast the other day. He said, I don't think most people realize how many of us were out in that crowd. He's like, 90% of the team was out there with y'all just, <laughs> just doing it because we didn't know what to do either. We had We had nowhere else to go. <laughs> we were out because we didn't want to miss it. Um, so that was amazing. But I cannot imagine Abs players coming out into the post game. No way. No way. Um, but I've been at plenty of games at Coors Field where the team is like battling for the division, and it's half empty. And then yeah. the people who are there are half paying attention. There, there is some truth. As much as I hate it and I fight back against it, I think the party deck is a good thing. But there is such a thing as a party deck crowd and a, a group of people who go to Coors not to watch baseball, but to drink and hang out and have fun. And I have no problem with those people being there. Um, but it doesn't make for the best sports watching environment when that's half your crowd. Yeah, because those guys aren't, you know, they're not getting up at the big moments and they're not, you know, right. those are the ones who are doing the wave that pisses you off so much. Right, the right. The, I've hater. been in too many games where they start doing the wave. Like, at the wrong time. If crowds were smart enough, I would totally flip on the wave if crowds were smart enough to do them at the right time. Just so we're all clear on that. Right? There is no time that's the wrong time for the wave. Oh, it's, it's a two-to-one game. It's the eighth inning. Your starter's still on the hill. He's approaching that's 100 the innings. best time for the wave. Smart, 
are you doing? One of these days, Kyle Freeland's is going to go into the crowd and start fighting dudes who are starting to wave while he's out there. Guys, That'd be amazing if he just like picks a guy out. <laughs> you! The worst thing about the wave is the guy who starts the wave, who runs out in front of the whole section, and it's like, for this entire inning, I want all of you yeah. to pay attention to me instead of the baseball game, and I'm going to force this upon all of you, and we are doing this, damn it. And I can usually see that guy from the press box. I mean, <laughs> someone needs to give me a little, little dart, dart right. a little blow dart. So, uh, Drew wants malice at uh, at mile high, I guess. Right. <laughs> um, I I couldn't think of one for Coors Field that rhymed with beating people up, but <laughs> no. Either way, nope. I'm giving the crowd win to hockey on that one. So, count it. Um, yeah, having been to playoff games in both, uh, I would say I also give it to the hockey crowd. But part of that is also the fact that it's 18,000 people in a tightly compact yeah, space. Much more packed together, inside. for sure. Yeah. And so, just it's just, a, it's just a different atmosphere. You feel so much of the energy, whereas in when you're in Coors Field, you kind of feel your section depending on where you are, especially if you're in those outfield bleachers. Like I was sitting in the outfield bleachers um, when story hit the, uh, hit the walk-off home run to go into the all-star break. Mm. And like that crowd, you know, it had been bad weather that day. So that crowd had kind of cleared out, but the people who were there were serious about being there. And like my section was really, really loud but the stadium as a whole was kind of just like dope. Cool. Yeah. There you go. And, Steph and says that's the kerfuffle where... at Coors, by the way. So the, ne- the next bench clear. That's, I want to see that title, Drew. Right. Kerfuffle at Coors. Yeah. A kerfuffle at Coors. That's a, the <laughs> Perdomo Arenado situation. Was that a, a kerfuffle at Coors? <laughs> no, that was a bunch of dudes swinging and missing. <laughs> I'm saying... I'm totally with you. All right. Anyway, we've gotten a little off track in the second period, as hockey games tend to do. So, (laughs) you know, it's time to talk about one of the worst spectator sports to watch in person. Much better in the digital realm with WGT Golf, because you don't have to walk around the whole course and follow people around. Why do that when you can play from the comfort of your own Couch. WGT Golf is not only the most popular golf game in the world, it's now an official partner for DNVR Gaming, which all three of us are a part of. It is extremely realistic and loved by more than 20 million players around the world, and you can play amazing real-life courses, including Pebble Beach, Beth Page, Black St. Andrews, many others, in a various different ways, including closes of the whole, stroke play, match play. They even have a top golf simulator that you can get closest to the pins that way. We even have our own tournaments coming up this weekend. The the first major DNVR WGT Golf Tournament. You can sign up and download the game both from dnvrgolf.com and join the clubhouse and be part of our next one. Third period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast. AJ, we uh, we came across some some interesting things in the world of hockey about every fan base and the thing or the the win or the loss something i don't i think it was pretty the 
blanket. The grudge. They, they yeah. called it the grudge report. The grudge report of of something that got away, I suppose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the thing that every fan base, like every fan base, has an axe to grind for sure. So. You and I have been longtime fans, and and we can get to our axes to grind or or, or otherwise. Yeah. But I'm curious if Drew has been in the hockey and have seen long enough to have any axes sharpened yet. <laughs> like like against the Avs, I I don't think so yet. I mean, so far we just from your Avs fandom, like yeah. Uh, for example, some of the ones in here are um like the Claude Lemieux hit against Detroit. Um, the owner that traded away Wayne Gretzky, you know, et cetera, et cetera. In in Rocky's fandom, it would be Jeff Breidich and the Nolan Arenado situation. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Uh, that that one would be obvious. Like that's the that's the thing that the fan base is obsessed with that will not they will not let go. Yeah, yeah, man, I, I I I just. I'm having a hard time thinking of one yet. I well, no, 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 no. Okay, I guess the thing is when I watch the games, the thing that I do get most frustrated about, even though I feel like you've got to be a far more advanced and nuanced understander of the game than I am, is the um, the power play, failings in the power play for the Abs, and why has nothing been done about this? The, 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 this is how. Let me. I'll, I'll boil it down, and then you tell me where I'm wrong. The Avs appear to be a very good hockey team with very good hockey players on it who, given most other things being equal, are more likely than not to beat the other hockey boys at the hockey. Why, when they have an advantage of having an extra person, do they seem to play not as good at the hockey? The... the, the floor is. Uh, this is. <laughs> well, I mean, if I knew that answer fully, I'd be an assistant coach for the Abs right now, probably. <laughs> but um, we've talked about this quite a bit before on the show, especially early in the season. It was uh, a topic we hit on a lot, but they. There is no one answer to this. I, obviously, lots of people have issues with the way Ray Bennett has run the systems. I'm one of them. But AJ has consistently brought up a good point in the past of, look, at a certain point, they're not telling their best players to stand there and do nothing. The players just have to go out there and score a goal. <laughs> yeah. So There was this weird thing in 2018 where it was – the it's like on record by far quite easily – the best year of starting pitching the Rockies have ever had. But in the first inning, they couldn't not give up runs. Remember that, AJ? It was every game. And I had this weird back and forth with the fans where it was every day. And I I feel like I'm on the other side of that now where people want, why can't they just stop giving up two runs in the first inning? Every time, Herman Marquez, you could set your watch by it. He'd give up two runs in the first and then pitch six or seven more innings with nothing. And, of course, people are going, dude, just start the game better, and we're going to have all these wins. But when you when you looked at it in totality, you're like, how how do you ask them? And I, I feel like this is the power play thing to, like, get to focus all their time on fixing this one nuanced problem they have when it – how much is it costing them really? But I don't know the answer to how much is it costing them really either. Yeah, that is that is the question. How much can you could you have like 
just him simming inning underneath before the start of games. <laughs> right. Well, right, and people are coming up with all this stuff like tell him it's the second. Have him pitch his bullpen like it's a real inning. Get a live batter in there because it was like all three of them. It was Marquez, Gray, an opener, Freeland. There you go. an opener was a big thing because that was becoming a, a thing. So like, yeah, do you guys hear this stuff on like power play? Well, we, we were talking about it earlier. Just bring in a specific guy for your face-offs or bring in – why don't the abs have a power play specialist genius? I've heard many, many things. The, okay, the one that bugs me the most of options I've heard that I don't believe in that they should do is a lot of people were calling them to go back to running two defensemen. And you just shouldn't do that. <laughs> it. <laughs> It calls AJ's face. If you're watching live, says everything right now. Is he's just rubbing his eyes and and looking down in distress. But it, it, every statistic in the book shows that you will score more power play goals if you run one defenseman compared to two. And there have been so many different people who have done deep dives, statistical dives on this that show that that bears fruit. Do you want to know why Nashville is at the bottom of it has had a horrific, historically bad power play last year and is a bottom tier unit again this year? It's not hard. Yeah. <laughs> they run two defensemen. Not only and, do they run two defensemen, they run basically their whole offense through their defense. <laughs> well, and that's also part of what Colorado's problem is, is that they also heavily on the point shot yeah right but drew to to your to answer your question of like how much of a difference so colorado's power play today after 70 games played 19.1 percent like not good enough you should at least be at 20 percent uh and it's 19th in the nhl now if they had scored two more goals where would they be i don't know exactly i'm not gonna i'm not gonna do the math i'm not gonna pull it up but if they had gotten all the way to 22%, just three percentage points more, they'd be ninth in the NHL. No. So, so we're talking about a really, there's one elite power play in the NHL in Edmonton at almost 30%. That is an insane number. That's elite. I want that. But <laughs> after that, you have a couple of really good power plays, Boston, St. Louis, Vancouver, Tampa Bay. And then you get into uh, Toronto as well. Sorry. And then, and then you get into like a bunch of, a bunch of solid power plays. And it's just, it's just the difference in production is so small. Like it's such a, over the course of a season, the difference between 19% and a, 23% that gets you into the top five. You could, you could be, you talk about five goals, you know, you, yeah. it's just not that many, man. It's not, it's not, it, it's such a razor thin margin between the perception of you have a really good power play and you have a really bad power play. Call the, the real, the real honest truth of it is that Colorado's power play was okay. It wasn't, it wasn't really good. It wasn't really bad. It wasn't one of the league's worst, and it wasn't one of the league's best. It was just, it was just okay. Which, when it came to generating scoring chances and uh, an actual offensive numbers, like 
how did they do how did they how did they do in terms of uh creating those numbers at, on a rate basis you know per 60 minutes which is kind of how you normalize it between the whole league because everybody gets different opportunities spends a different amount of time on the power play they were right in the middle of the league they were dead in the middle of the league they were 15th 16th 17th and all these all these different categories where you're like okay well how often are they generating good chances like what's the what's you know what are they what are they doing in terms of how many chances they're creating what are what are the what are the quality of chances that they're creating and they're they're right in the middle it it is a bit relative too though right because it's as much about the abs are putting out offensive elite talent with a mckinnon with a rant and win healthy with a McCarr. Well, and the win healthy was a big thing this year because it it was it it played a factor for sure. They they probably only had of those seventy games they probably only had like their top couple guys together for thirty five of those games. Yeah, fair. So I mean, when when you're talking about like and and like again, we everybody agrees it should have been better, right? But it just was nowhere near the problem the that, that that people wanted to make the it out to be. The joke of it was like, asking to decline power plays level of bad. Right. And like, oh, Ray Bennett, Ray Bennett 100% needs to be fired for running a middle tier power play. Where it was like by far the biggest weakness on the team. It was like the only thing that the team was not in top 10 of offensively or defensively. They were they were this close. Like if their power play had been five percentage points better, they're probably the best team in the NHL. Like that was the that might have been the difference between them being very good and them being elite. So it mattered. But it wasn't like I don't know that it would have been the thing that kept them from winning a Stanley Cup. Maybe, but I don't know. Um, and and it was all of the rates and all of the generation and all of that, like it needed to be better. They didn't, they weren't creating it nearly a high enough rate, but a combination of injuries where at times JT Comfer and Tyson Jost and guys like that are on the top unit. And you're just like, good Lord, man. Like TJ Tynan was on the power play for a while. And, you know, some of that, some of that injuries and all that. Sure. But really it was just an ineffective unit. It's, it's not a very, it's not a very good system and they didn't execute it very well. Right. Certainly, it's not all on coaching. Plenty of it is, but like as Rudo mentioned earlier, there's no way that those dudes are being coached to stand there and hold the puck for five seconds without making a damn decision. So, like, we go to those practices, we watch them emphasize, yeah, you have to play faster than this. We watch them get undressed verbally by the coaching staff in practice, you have to play faster than this. And then they go into the game and it just doesn't, it doesn't translate. And it's like, some of that is coaching. And some of that is like, dude, at, at some point, like you have to put the onus on the players. Like, I know that you love Nathan McKinnon and that you think he can do no wrong, but the guy, I mean, the guy single-handedly lost them a game against Tampa Bay because he dicked around with the puck at the blue line. Like the guy makes mistakes. He's, he's a flawed individual. It's it's okay to, to 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 say he needs to be better on that unit. He needed to be. As it turns out, he needed out, to be. McCarr needed to be too. Yeah, I know that he's the untouchable, you know, young Adonis in the organization, but he needed to be better running a power play too. It 
So this was AJ's axe to grind all along, <laughs> apparently. I mean, not really. I, it didn't bother me. You sure. know that I didn't care about the power yeah, play. As yeah, long as the PK got better, I was happy. And the PK was on a huge uptick at the end of the year. They were. If, if this isn't it, then I'm curious what your your axe is right now, AJ. The thing, the thing that that in Avalanche history that will always stick with me: the three-one blown series lead to Minnesota. Yep. That Andrew Brunette and ended Patrick Waugh's career, and that those clowns have something to to hold over Abs fans forever. They they should have that. That's another year. That was the second round of the playoffs. That's that, that's another year where they get to the conference finals. And we might be talking about an, a Stanley Cup that year. Maybe not, but maybe. Don't know how it would have gone, but they were up 3-1 in that series, and they choked it away to the freaking Minnesota Wild. <laughs> Nothing but pain down that road, for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'd say that was a good one. Uh, I... The, all right, so I have two with coaching. One, bringing back Tony, Tony Granado for a second time was just... Fire, let Q yeah, leave and bring that dude back? Absolutely awful in every single way. And uh, there's the, the Patrick Waz, a coach conversation, is always going to be a hard one for me as well. Why is that? Uh, because I cannot separate him as strictly a coach. He's also, you know, what he did on the back end and building those teams that led to the the Avs getting stuck on the treadmill of not being able to make the playoffs and ultimately his departure from the team to create the perfect storm of the worst season in Avalanche history. It's just something where even even his successful season was a season built on a mound of oh my god this is the luckiest team in the universe to to have won the way they won so many games that year he never sold me on being a good coach i didn't like his counterattack systems i didn't like the way he relied on his goalie to make 40 plus saves a night i didn't like the way he chased veterans in free agency there there was nothing that I liked about Patrick Waugh, and it tainted the reputation of the greatest goalie of all time with this franchise a little bit. So, it disappointed. It definitely did that, and that was when uh, they were doing their coaching search. Uh, I I said that I didn't want him as the guy. Yeah. And it was 100% because I said, because someday they're going to have to fire him. Right. There's a... And I mean, let's face I it, the majority that. of coaches don't win championships. And there was a very good chance, and of course it proved to be true, that Wah wouldn't win one here and he wouldn't live up to the hype ever uh, that he was as the goaltender. And, you know, obviously it, it ended in a crash and burn. But it is what it is. No going back in time as, as much as sometimes you would like to, so... Yeah. yeah. So a, a slight correction. They lost to Minnesota in 2003 in the first round, not the second. Yeah, round. it was the first round. Yeah. Yep. I knew it as soon as I said it, I was like, no, that's not right. Would have been nice if the they year, won a series was, that year. Yeah. It was the year before. Yep. Where they uh, went to the conference finals. Mm-hmm. That was the one to, that was the Statue of Liberty in Detroit. And then anyway, never again. Don't need to go into that. Yeah. <laughs> 
um while we're at it i want the 11 days back between the end of the 2007 nlcs and the beginning of the 2007 world series yeah (laughs) brutal yeah agreed i also agree with the patrick waugh as the coach and that that sort of tainted his legacy in colorado that sucks that should not taint your legacy man like I really wish we were better at separating stuff like that. I feel like that I, happened to Walt Weiss a little bit too. Not that he had this great legacy in Colorado, but he was generally he did with me. He was my well, favorite baseball player growing up. I know, I know you're a big Walt Weiss guy, um, but you know it's like he was a pretty darn good player and somebody everyone liked and respected throughout his career. He gets his first managerial job. It's not his fault. The Rockies had like the worst bullpen in the history of ever while he was here. Uh, Chad Qualls was going to be their closer. Oh, God, I remember that. <laughs> but, and yeah, I know people like, I don't, I don't like, like, people talk only negatively about Walt Weiss, which is just silly to me. So I hope that's not the case with Patrick Waugh, man. It's no, like, I mean, you got to uh, separate that stuff. Waugh, look, like, there are some things, like, it's complicated because Waugh's first year was like, hockey is back in Denver. They won the division. <laughs> They had like the they they won the division on the last day of the regular season. They had a hundred and twelve point season, which is insane. It's the second best regular season they've ever had, and that team was outrageously fun to watch offensively because the forward core was stacked with talent. It was McKinnon's rookie year. They had. They had McKinnon and O'Reilly and Duchesne and Stasny and Parento and Jamie McGinn and obviously Gabe Landeskog. Like, they were so stacked. It was so awesome. But they had nothing on defense outside of Eric Johnson and Tyson Berry and and Varley and Nett at the height of Varley's powers. And that was awesome. Like, that, that was a fun team. But they were bad. They They were poorly, very poorly coached. And they got by on smoke and mirrors. It was awful, dude. It was, it yep. was, it was like if the Rockies won a hundred and five games and fifty of them they won. They were down three two in the eighth inning in fifty. Exactly, of them. <laughs> like fifty of them they won with with comeback wins after the seventh inning. Like they were, they were all over the place, man. It was, it was just. And they were fun to watch. Like they were exciting. They were the cardiac kids in that way. And they were young enough that you were like, oh, they're a young team. Who cares? Like, and they'll, then they'll, it and they'll get better. They'll you be were just consistent. enjoying the ride. And then, like, the next couple of years, Waugh got hard exposed as not very good coach. And that was yeah. also the rise of the analytics. And so yeah. we were, and me specifically, once I got into the press room his final year, I started asking about a lot more of the analytics and the underlying stuff, and that rubbed some people the wrong way, especially certain Patrick Waugh fan people who it was like, how dare you criticize Patrick Waugh? He's a genius. He doesn't need underlying. He doesn't need advanced statistics to tell him how to how to run a hockey team. Numbers are irrelevant because he's a hockey savant kind of thing. Oof. And it was and it was right. And like it was like Patrick Waugh was is to this day my favorite hockey player, and I had to criticize him as head coach my first year in the media. Mm-hmm. And it was it was Patrick Waugh will always leave me with conflicted feelings, like like with Rudo. I will always be uh, that's hard. Kind of Rudo. kind of stuck in a weird spot when it comes to Patty Waugh. 
as purely as a player, I, I do a decent job of separating because purely as a player, still love him to death. But when you get into his coaching and his his uh, front office tenure, uh, it's a lot more complicated. Yeah, it, certainly a different chapter, but it's one that it's hard not to bring up when you get into the conversation. And yeah, I I mean, that's all I got. Unless y'all want some final thoughts, Drew, anything truly special you feel you've learned about hockey uh let me see I, I had some stuff on my list oh there were there were two things i wanted to mention really the one thing i wanted to mention especially from playing as an individual in that game was learning about shifts and how incredibly short and unfulfilling they can sometimes yep. be yep and this was something I really didn't understand just watching the game and playing as a full team. But once I was a third line guy trying to make his way in the world of the NHL and I'm getting out there for long enough to kind of get in a dude's way and maybe get close to the puck and the coach is calling me to get my ass off the ice now. Um, it, having to learn, like even having to be aware of where the bench is. Um, it's not something I would have thought of would be an important skill for a hockey player to have a general awareness of when is a good time to hop on and off of the ice is a whole extra thing that I really enjoyed getting involved with. Um, and, and uh, kind of getting that um, empathy for guys who don't get the glory, who aren't the top line guys, whose job it is to run the puck through them, who are going to get on the ice for, 45 seconds and never touch the puck, but you still need them to do their job um, or the whole thing can fall apart. If you miss the one assignment, you got that shift. It's your fault. They scored like the, the intensity of that uh, really, really blew me away. And so I very much enjoyed playing as, as one person to, because when you're watching all that stuff's just happening automatically, or when you're playing the game, it just happens automatically. But when it's your responsibility to get off the ice when the coach calls you off and to make sure that you're doing it in a way that doesn't leave a bunch of open space and screw up the play that you're close enough to the bench that you don't have to make some ridiculous beeline for the thing. You're, it's, there's a whole world of thinking about the game that has opened up for me. In that yeah. So I wanted to talk, I want to mention. That. Yeah. You know, it's funny to the first part of that. Uh, we had a big conversation, AJ and I about Tyson Jost in that because all of the players in any sports league that are at the major level, they were their best player on every single team growing up, right? And it's a big change for these guys when they, in hockey, at, even at the NCAA level, the highest level Joe's played before he went to the NHL, he was getting puck touches every single shift. And then all of a sudden you get to the NHL and your puck touches are cut dramatically to the point where in some shifts you don't touch it at all. And it's a completely different style of game that you have to learn how to play at the next level. Yep. So it 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 really is incredible how important that can be to and then don't totally panic when you finally do touch the puck. Oh my god, I've got it. I better right. shoot. <laughs> <laughs> I did that a bunch of times. <laughs> so, I can't believe they passed it to me. <laughs> yeah, so th I think that was a good one too. Do you have another one there? On the list, or was that that it? Well, it looks like Drew oh. broke. I'm out. I'm out. 
You're in, well, but you don't know you're in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I I was asking, uh, did you have any more on the list or? I think the only other main thing was just a general sense of understanding how scoring opportunities around the net are created. Uh, I think that's always been one of the biggest hurdles to me uh, as somebody looking at hockey through the outside. In fact, there's a very famous scene from one of my favorite writers who talks about how scoring in hockey seems to come completely out of nowhere. And I, I do think, isn't it great? Yeah. And even compares it directly to baseball and how there's a situation and you know something big is about to happen. And in hockey, I still feel like there's there's a lot of that chaos. You do feel a, a build in certain points. But once I started, like, you know, you blow enough breakaways, enough one-on-one situations against the goalie, uh, or you play individually as the goalie for a little while, you realize that you can only cover a third of that net as a time uh, at a time where on TV, it looks like the goalies covering like half the net or two thirds of it. I think just with the way the cameras work, you get in there and you see that like, no, you've got to move the guy around. Um, and, and once you start like even getting the handle of like, it's a lot easier to beat a goalie stick side the vast majority of the time. Um, but, but trying to go from backhand to forehand to move that goalie around so that you you can go to the space he's not in with an individual. I'm used to, you know, soccer, you can cross a guy up, similar in hockey. That's always made sense to me. But how as an individual, you do a, a quick little deke and then put it between his legs or go up over the shoulder and all these little nuances of beating a goalie one-on-one, I think have, have opened up the world of scoring in hockey now and it doesn't feel like utter chaos to me. It feels like... Um, those tiny little rock, paper, scissors strategies playing out at an incredibly fast pace. Yeah. It, that's a good one. It, it's kind of like a, a goalie, I guess in that regard is almost like a batter, right? Where sometimes you're going to catch him guessing on the wrong pitch. You do that fake and he pops the five hole open. It, you know, it's like getting him sitting on the fastball and you throw the junk and he, he just completely whiffs. But yeah, it it's there is a lot of nuance to that at at times, but also in and around the net sometimes it's just mad scramble and you have a pigeon that picks up a puck and throws it into an open net like Oh, and that is a term I've definitely used because like I mentioned, my usually when I get the puck with somebody right in front of the net, my strategy and I, I want to be very clear about that uh, this is is this. Shoot 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 shoot. shoot. <laughs> um and sometimes you do that and the puck just like bounces off one of the goalie's pads and slips between his armpit and falls right behind that little line. Goal! Uh, and I've learned the term greasy in the last couple of weeks from our people in chat yeah. have taught me what a greasy goal is. And then I started feeling bad for uh, about getting them and they instructed me not to do that as well. That there's no shame in greasy goals, so... Um, they all it's all count like the same man. baseball. Yeah. If, you, if you suicide squeeze, yeah. people will look at you side eyed, but don't ever apologize goals. for success. That's right. All right. So we got we got Drew getting on the on the lingo. We got pigeons, we got greasy ones. He'll be wheeling, sniping, selling soon enough, I'm sure. Probably already does that. But <laughs> Sni- sniping with Burra. Sign Burra for life. My man. He'd be on my six and a half mil train. 
got one one person in DNVR on my side with this. It's because he doesn't know any better. <laughs> <laughs> he does spinning goals, and he's large and beautiful. Have I said anything incorrect yet? It's good so far to me. Uh, sign him. Make it happen. That's all we got for the show today, I guess. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you need to take a quick breather, I recommend Strava Craft Coffee, the rich CBD-infused coffee that you can now purchase in K-Cups for your Keurig or the original whole bean and ground options as well. Plus, you can get 20% off when you order online and use code DNBR20. It's been known to help many aches and pains, including IBS, anxiety, pretty much everything under the sun, and... The CBD itself is non-psychoactive, so super easy, super awesome. Give it a try. 20% off. DNVR 20. DNVR Avalanche with Hey Felice.